and welcome back for another episode of Ladies First. I am Elizabeth, and you just heard Corey. Hello. All right, so this one has been a long time coming. I've been waiting for this since we originally pitched this podcast. We're doing Mass Effect. I'm basically just sitting back and letting Elizabeth go. She, well, she did this for me last time with Xena, so I'm returning the favor. <laughs> it's not like you don't know things about the series, though. No, I do, but, like, this is very obviously your baby, like how Xena was my baby. So, you know, quid pro quo. It is. It's absolutely my baby. And, uh, yeah, I have a little shout-out to my friend on Tumblr, you know who you are, who called us out for putting off Mass Effect for so long. So thank you for that. We're doing it now. We're doing it now. You finally let us do it. All right. So where should we start? How about we start with the basics really quick, in case you've been living under a rock or you don't play games. Okay. So Mass Effect is a four-game series. It was the original trilogy and then the new release that came out in March, Mass Effect Andromeda. How do you summarize the plot of these games? Who's the publisher or developer? It's uh, developed by BioWare, which uh, BioWare are the modern masters of storytelling RPGs, uh, specifically the Western tradition of storytelling RPGs. And uh, really, as far as storytelling RPGs go, nobody quite does it like BioWare. And it's not just because they're one of the few companies that consistently has pretty good gay representation. Well, they obviously they have other series, too, like uh, Dragon Age... And well, Dragon did... Age is Dragon Age is Mass Effect except fantasy setting. Okay, well, they did Star Wars: Knights of the Old Republic. Yeah, uh, but um, and then Jade Empire as well. Yeah, so this isn't all they do, but this is what they are best known for. Kind of what th- their specialty is. Yeah, their specialty is these massive story-driven, character-driven games. So, um. Well, let's start talking about Ryder versus Shepard. I think it's a good place to start. So I, I know that Andromeda was not everyone's favorite game. I personally loved it, 10 out of 10 game of the year. Although I think I'm evaluating the game on a different metric than other people might be. Now, just so we're clear, Ryder is for Andromeda. That's the main character for Mass Effect Andromeda. Exactly, yeah. So uh, in the Mass Effect games... The main character, the player, player protagonist that you play as can be male or female, and they are referred by everyone else as, um, everyone else calls them by their last name. So you can change your first name, but everybody calls you by your last name. So in the first game, you are Commander Shepard, in the second game, you are Pathfinder Writer. So there's sort of a significant difference in tone between the original series and the second one. A big part of it, I think, is that there's a big age difference between Writer and Shepard. The Shepherd is in their early 30s, and Ryder is in their early 20s. So this sort of informs a lot of the storytelling differences and differences in how the romances play out. Also that Andromeda is, the first, I'm assuming, the first of a trilogy. So we only have the first step of the game in that case, while as with, with uh, the original trilogy, we have three games to talk about. So, Corey, who, yes. who is your favorite? Your yeah, favorite Andromeda romance. Or the trilogy. Let's start with the original trilogy. That's hard. I love Liara, but I also love Tally. And then I have <laughs> this weird little love affair for Miranda. Oh man, I love. But Miranda I can only awesome. romance one of them. 
Exactly. Yeah. Uh, one of the biggest downfalls of the original trilogy, well, maybe not downfalls, it's more of a sign of the times. Um, there's only two canon queer romances for uh, Femshep. There's only two for Maleshep as well, and one of them, or actually both of them are only in the third game. But uh, that's actually a topic for another podcast about uh, Bioware actually kind of gave the the male-male romance options. Um, they're not that great. But uh, again, topic for another podcast. So let's start with Liara, because Liara is the romance that actually spans all three of the original games. Okay, so just, again, in, in case you've been living under a rock, humans are not the only species here. And Liara is not a human character. She's a, she's an Asari. And it's, this race is actually very interesting because they are technically genderqueer or gender neutral. They don't have an assigned gender, but they are all outwardly, according to, like, human understanding, female. Well, you're not wrong. Culturally, they are, I guess, what we would refer to as genderqueer. Uh, that was confirmed in Andromeda. That there's actually a conversation between an Asari and a human where the Asari explains, well, in Asari culture, the terms male and female don't really have any meaning because they're a monogendered species. And so she was explaining that not all Asari use female pronouns, but some do. And a lot of them do simply because it's the easiest for other races to understand. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the Asari are all about inclusiveness and togetherness. So uh, the Asari actually reproduce asexually. So what they do is they have this sort of, um, it's a bit space magic-y, but we'll go with it. It's like it. a um, mind meld-ish? Yes. Yeah, so what they but do is... But they can is, reproduce with, like, anyone. Yeah, they can reproduce with any sapient species. And so the way that they do this is they take information from the other species' DNA structure and use it to restructure their own DNA to give variation within their own species. They also, um, there are some genetic defects that can occur if Asari have children with other Asari. And so this has resulted in this kind of cool cultural bias towards marrying other species or mating with other species as opposed to with your own species. Well, because they're called, what are they, Ardat Yakshi? Yeah, the Ardat Yakshi, who kill anybody who they mate with. And it's not, well, it can be voluntarily enjoyed but it's not that they can help it it's just because they're an ardot yakshi that's it's a genetic defect and most of them wind up having to serve i think in a temple yeah they have a special temple for them um but yeah they're uh in the asari culture the term pure blood is a slur yes which i think is really really interesting compared to um our human culture <laughs> actually interestingly enough in mass effect in the mass effect universe canonically both it's covered in both the novel series and in the actual game series that encountering alien species is sort of what stopped racism within humans so the mass effect universe it's canon that most people are a pretty diverse mix of a bunch of different things so now they're just speciesist instead yeah, of racist so, <laughs> exactly uh, there's actually even um, there's a racist political party called Terra Firma. <laughs> it's Earth yeah, it's first. Like humans for humans. So I mean, we didn't evolve that much. We <laughs> no, just like we didn't. went up half a step. 
yeah, we were united in our tendency to be biased against others. Although, and considering even then, though, there are humans that have was it biotic abilities? Yes, and they're still shunned. Now, Asari actually don't most Asari have biotic abilities or a much better grasp on biotic abilities? It's kind of like telekinesis. Yes, due to a increased amount of Ezo or Element Zero on their planet. Side note, Element Zero is the magical MacGuffin element where uh, when you run an electric current through it, it allows you to alter the physical weight of things. So the practical... It's like telekinesis, but the practical effect of it is you're, you're basically breaking the laws of physics. So this is how you travel across space at great speeds is by reducing the, the physical weight of an object to the point where it can move at the speed of light. But the Asari, since they, are, they come from a planet that has a ton of Ezo just mm-hmm. in the soil and everywhere... Um, exposure to Ezo can give you these telekinetic powers. So pretty much every Asari has this ability. Whether or not they actually train in it is another matter, but all of them can do it. So again, no matter how much things change, at least for the human culture, some things are always going to stay the same. Oh yeah, yeah. The bias against biotics is but like Back to the Asari, though. Uh, because they all outwardly present as as far as the human understanding goes as female um liara up until the third mass effect is really the only queer option you have there's sort of uh kelly who was your ship psychologist in the second game but it's not actually considered a romance it doesn't qualify for the paramour trophy okay so i mean we don't really count it it was just sort of a throwaway also if um if so i was a playstation 3 gamer um, if you hadn't played the first game, you actually couldn't romance Liara in the second one. And that wasn't rectified until, oh god, I think the, the Mass Effect 1 port for the PS3 came out, like, right around when Leviathan came out for the third game. But they fixed it, eventually. See, the person that I backseat gamed with, because I have no coordination to play these, he got <laughs> Mass Effect 2 first. So did I, so actually. we started with Liara, and then he had to go back and play Mass Effect 1. And then we tried to go back and play, like, the Shadow Broker DLC. Oh, but my God. Was... Yeah, that was fun. But it's just really <laughs> amazing to see, like, the depth of characters that progress. But you... we didn't really get another queer option until the third... Um game so, yeah well, I mean, liara was what you were really putting everything on which yeah is technically not exactly fair to that character so i know there was some criticism leveled at it's like oh if you don't like the shy book nerd type or if you don't like the cold calculate it's like well okay you're basing your criticism off of a character that is ever evolving and i mean she's really all there is so it's not exactly fair I think of all of the characters in Mass Effect and the, tr- the original trilogy, Liara by far has the most character development. Oh yeah, that that romance has the most screen time. It has the most just it, it has the the most development. Liara is just really exceedingly well written character. Definitely, she, which I, I was mean, actually going to say. One of my speaking favorites. of book nerd, speaking yeah. of book nerd, you actually the other romance for you in three is also a book nerd, but we'll get to that in a minute. We'll get to my baby Samantha Trainer in a bit. Okay, so Liara. Liara starts off in the first game as being kind of, um, well, a nerd. A very sheltered nerd who got her ass stuck in a static field. 
<laughs> trying to explore some shit she wasn't really supposed to be exploring. Yeah, so she's a researcher on the Protheans. The Protheans are an ancient race of aliens. And so her research into the... And they, they disappeared 50,000 years ago, and nobody knows why. The plot of the trilogy is the why. So... Um, but basically, something happens to Shepard in the beginning of Mass Effect 1, where they find a Prothean beacon, and they are given a vision of the end of, the, basically, the end of the galaxy. And so they need to learn more about this, and so one of the people that you are sent to go recruit to help you is Dr. Liar Tassoni, who's on a dig on some backwater planet in the middle of nowhere out in The Verge. Uh, the Verge is, God, there's so much explaining that you have to do. Okay, basically, uh, the, it's out in the boondocks. Just, yeah, we'll it's just out, leave it at that. It's out in the boondocks. Um, yeah, you're out in law, lawless space. If Shepard wouldn't have come and found her, Liara probably would have been there for a very, <laughs> very long time. You know what's funny is I've never personally done this because I love Liara so much, but you can actually pick her up last. Yeah, I've played through that <laughs> game. Well, I didn't play, but I backseat played through that game, and she is really spacey if you go to her last. Well, it yeah, is she's... really hard to get her to like focus. Because she's, she's been in a stasis field for days. Months, even, depending yeah, on how much you dragged her feet. depending on how long you took your sweet-ass time getting to her. <laughs> yeah, but, um, so, with this romance, which is, like, you have to remember that the first Mass Effect game came out in, like, 2007. And so, with the previous titles that Bioware had produced, they had sort of dipped their toes in the same-sex romance, but they were unsatisfying, I mean, there there were great more. It could have been more, but I felt I felt like it's just the baby steps that they had to take to get to the point where they are now. Because in Andromeda, you have four different options for a female writer. Right, but back then, I mean, it was. I mean, this is what surprises me so much about Liara, though, is because even back then, she was exceedingly well written as a canonical queer option. Yes, and. and it was sort of a loophole thing because I know like some, some criticisms of mass effect is like, Oh, the Asari are just the hot, sexy aliens. Yes, they are. And it's written into their culture that they are very laissez-faire about nudity, about sexuality. Well, they live for a thousand years. I mean, after some point, exactly. they stop caring about certain things. Yeah. I mean, there's even an Asari who's heard of jokes or she, there's a, a Krogan who's in love with her, which is, it's honestly one of the cutest things in the entire trilogy. Um, who's writing love, po- love poetry for you? By the way, the Krogan are a warrior people, so this is a little out of character. And so then she says to you, she's like, well, you know, it'll be a big commitment because he's a Krogan. They live as long as we do. It's not like a human or a Turian where you just wait a century and then move on. And or a sort of where you wait a couple of decades. Yeah, the Salarians only lived to 40. <laughs> But, but yeah, that's so... the thing, though, is especially with Liara, she is so cognizant of there's only so much time, both with, like you said, with what made the Protheans disappear, which is the greater conflict of Mass Effect, and mm-hmm. the fact that, you know, you're a human. So you only have about a century, and Liara's young. Yeah, she's 100 and, 110, 112. Yeah, she's what they would call a maiden, I think. Yeah, she's a, it's still in the maiden stage. Um yeah, most Asari, when they're, so they come of age at about 40. And then usually they spend their younger years in mercenary groups or in college or just basically having a grand old time. So in and the then when you, loads. 
Yeah, it's sort of like our wild teens. And then when they hit the matron stage at about 300, 400, although you actually can hit that stage earlier if it just happens to be in your personality or it happens to be with your life choices. So it's not cut and dried. But about like 300, 400, they hit the matron stage, and that's usually when they have children and families. And then at about 600 to 700, they hit what they call the matriarch stage. And that's when they start participating more in their political government, that the matriarchs are these very old, wise women, for lack of a better word, who counsel their own people and the rest of Citadel space. Right, which is why, especially for Liara, she's meeting Shepard in the early stages of her maid period. Yes. So, I mean, she hasn't even, she's not anywhere close to reaching the matron stage. And, you know, the game does, for all intents and purposes, kind of frame Shepard as the love of her life. It does, yeah. Um, and and Shepard is. But it's just the poignancy of that. I'm like, you find each other and it is so sweet. And they go through so much together, but you also know it's like, it is going to be so bittersweet for Liara. Yeah. And the interesting thing is, is with the, the three romances from the first game, um, Liara's in the second one is the, the the one that carries over the most, or rather there's the most dealing with the reality. Because mm-hmm. with Caden and Ashley, you basically have one conversation and that's it. Because you're working with Cerberus, who is um, a pro-human splinter group. They're a bunch of racists, but, you know, the ends justify the means. It's very much a theme in the second game. But uh, Liara, you have the Shatterbroker DLC, which is where she goes to rescue a friend uh, from a very, very evil, very powerful person. And through this whole DLC, which is like, it's a pretty solid chunk of gameplay. It's like a good four hours. Yeah. Um, you have many, many conversations between yourself and Liara, where, because you show up in her office, and she's just... She had heard that you were still alive. Oh, right. Shepard dies at the at the beginning of Mass Effect 2. That might be important. Yeah, she dies, and Cerberus <laughs> spends, like, two-some years and, like, a billion credits, like, re- essentially rebuilding her. And Miranda Lawson is the head engineer of this. We'll talk about Miranda in a minute. Yeah, we'll get to Miranda in a minute. But we find out with Liara, she's the one that actually went and retrieved, like, this charred husk remains of your body. You actually, it's in the books and it's in the comics, if you are so inclined to and look at that story. the entire reason her friend is stuck with the Shadow Broker is because she was retrieving your body. Yeah, and so she feels tremendous guilt about it. I mean, not just for helping Cerberus, but also because she got her friend captured. But throughout that sequence, is like it's the shock. Is that to you? Because, I mean, to you, you got spaced, you got thrown out of a blowing up ship. It hasn't been two years for you. Exactly. You you close your eyes, and when you open them again, two years have passed. You know, to you, no time has passed, but two years have passed. Everyone's moved on with their lives, and so when you show up in her office, and you're if you tr- when you first meet her, you can go in for a kiss, and she kind of turns her head mm-hmm. because she still can't quite cope with it. Because there's even a conversation later where she's like, "You've been dead for two years, and you just show up. I've already mourned and grieved. Like you can't just think that things are going to go back to normal just because you happen to show up." Which, I mean, if you're Shepard, that's not fair. No, it's not. But at the same time, it is perfectly fair for Liara. I totally see where she's coming from. Yeah. And even then, like, when you, if you do initiate the romance from that point, she's saying, like, well, she's like, I can't go through losing you again. Mm -hmm. And, of course, Shepard being Shepard is like, well, you won't have to. 
And we all know that's a filthy lie. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> as far as we're going to spend like this entire hour on Liara if we don't wrap this up. Um, okay. As far as Liara goes, by far for any of the romantic options, like the queer canonical romantic options, like Liara is the most developed and I think the most poignant. But yes. also, I mean, she's the only one for all three games. And then if you wanted to get an actual, like, I don't go with everybody, I'm legitimately only a lesbian. We have your little baby. Samantha Trader. So I'm going to let you talk yes. about that. Um, yeah. So Sam Trainer, um, she is your comms officer on the Normandy in the third game. So at the end of the second game, uh, Shepard willingly surrenders to the Alliance after having worked with Cerberus. So the Normandy gets refitted in Alliance colors, and you're back to working with the good guys in the third game. So you get Alliance personnel on your ship, and one of the new characters that you meet is this funky little lesbian named Samantha Trainer. With uh, she's Indian, and she has the most delightful British accent you will ever hear. She went to Oxford, and she's actually from a colony world. So, there's an interesting thing about Samantha Trainer, and actually Cortez as well. Cortez is the um, a, a, the gay option for male Shepherd. So when they were going into three, they were going to add some gay options, additional gay options. And really, Liara, the thing about Liara is that because she is an alien, I feel like that they did this on purpose because they knew that they could get it by the censors. Is that since Liara is technically not human, you can kind of throw that like, oh, well, it's technically not gay. Mm -hmm. But no, Sam is a human. So when they were writing these two characters, the guy who wrote the wrote the characters is like, well... I was really stressing out about this. And the guy's like pulling his hair out over it. Uh, he's like, I really wanted to write these well. And the first couple of drafts didn't go so well. And so, so I showed it to my, some of my queer coworkers and they're just like, dude, you're trying too hard. Like just write a character, like just write a character that you would like to write and then just make them gay. And that's what Samantha trainer is. She's a character first and a gay woman second, mm. which is actually incredibly important because, well, I mean, it depends on the person, but to me personally, I feel like being gay is a part of my identity, and it's a big one, but it's not all that defines me. Right. You're still a person, and you still have, you know, you love games, or you love, like, Supergirl, or whatever else. Eurovision. So more to you than just being a lesbian. Exactly. Um, the other thing is, like, the, the reason why I like, uh, so Liara is actually a really competent fighter. She's a very powerful biotic. Her mother was one of the most powerful biotics ever to have lived. But, you know, Liara is a fighter, um, especially in the second and third game. She really comes into her own. She's this incredibly, scarily powerful, uh, sorry, warrior. Sam has every allergy under the sun, and I'm pretty sure she couldn't lift a gun, let alone fire one. But she still ends up actually being the only reason why the galaxy gets saved. Because in the third game, uh, well, after Thessia falls and you lose track of the big bad, uh, Sam is actually the one who's able to track the ship and figure out where they went. So if not, and it's right, you know, like right at the final hour. So mm -hmm. if it weren't for that, then the galaxy would be screwed. You wouldn't have been able to save the day. 
And she's so, like, meek and unassuming in this scene because, like, you know, Shepard, everyone's standing in the command room and Shepard's, like, at the point of, like, throwing things. She's like, what are we going to do? And then there's this quiet little Sam in the back goes, uh, I have an idea. Also in the, the Citadel DLC, she, um, so the Nord, so Shepard has a clone because of course, just, if you don't know, the Citadel DLC is basically a couple of hours of fan service and just making, you know, stuff. It's, it's literally all fan service, but so Shepard has a clone and the clone tries to steal a Normandy. And so you're trying to break into the Normandy and there's a safety hatch, but you can't get it open because the lock's on the other side. So, like, well, we'll use a biotic field, as, as we discussed, it's like telekinesis. We could use a biotic field to open the latch. And so then if you have a biotic in your group, they'll say, like, well, I don't have the small finite control to do that. Well, Sam has this toothbrush, this toothbrush that probably costs $1,000 in our money. And it uses little mass effect fields to get rid of plaque on your teeth. And so <laughs> you use Sam's she toothbrush. Would. She would have a nerdy, <laughs> nerdy-ass toothbrush. It costs... It costs 5,000 credits, or was it 50,000 or 5,000? I can't remember, I remember, but it was some some absurd amount. And so you use Sam's toothbrush to get the latch open. That's so yeah, Sam saves the day. Well, I mean, see, and I was like, I was always a big fan of sort of, um, it's sort of a superhero trope, but the idea that anybody can be a hero, it just depends on how you define a hero. And I mm-hmm. like that Sam is that kind of hero where you fight with the tools that you have. Right. Because you're not going to expect a comms officer to pick up a gun, but she ends up ultimately saving the day. Well, she reminds so, me a lot of um, Tally. The one yes. I am like forever bitter, I cannot romance. Okay, so here's the funny thing about Tally and Garrus. Now, whether or not this is true is heavily debated. I'm willing to, I, I actually would say that I believe it. That Garrus and Tolly were actually supposed to be bisexual options in two. And because this kind of makes sense to me, because there's this sort of weird thing where Garrus and Tolly, regardless of your player gender, all of the dialogue is the same, except for the point where the romance initiates. So when you're talking to Tolly, she gets flustered a lot and she kind of blushes. I mean, you can't see because she's wearing a full bodysuit, but. You know, it's sort of funny because, like, because it sort of pings your gaydar a little bit as you're talking to her. And then, and then uh, a couple of my friends have said with the Garrus romance, or with playing as a male chef, they're like, yeah, Garrus, like, just, you know, is very, very Greek or Roman, which is appropriate because that's what the Turians are based off of. Uh, that Garrus reads a sort of gay to them. Mm-hmm. Which, honestly, like, I wish that was an option because I, I just love that. I think that Garrus and Mailshep's friendship is an absolute delight. Tally, and then there's a Tally is adorable though. Like as she nerdy is. as Liaris starts, Tally is somehow even nerdier. And my my only thing is there is like a bit of an age difference in the first a Mass bit, Effect. Yeah. That yeah, she's, like, as, barely 18. Yeah, it's not as bad in, like, the second and third one, but it's one of those things where it's like, I wish, honestly, we could have had Tally in, like, Mass Effect Andromeda <laughs> with <laughs> female writer. We know that we couldn't because she was with, you know, in the events of three, and the Andromeda Initiative left prior to the, the Andromeda Initiative leaves right around when Shepard gets revived. 
this, so prior, well yeah, prior. This happens because it's a failsafe in case they can't defeat the Reapers. Well, that's not what it started as, but that's what it became. Sorry, oh, okay. spoiler alert. Jeez. Yeah, Jeez, Corey. <laughs> the, the game's been out for over a month. We knew what was happening in the game for how many months now? It is not It's a 70-hour adventure, okay? I just finished it last week. You knew what they were coming out for. Yeah, well, okay. It's a bit more complicated. We'll get to Andromeda in a bit. Anyway, Tolly. Um... I also like that um, the Koreans, side note, Koreans are really heavily coded as Jewish, and that's kind of my jam. Even the sound of their names, their accents, everything. Well, that, and especially, like, with the diaspora they have, because they lost their home world. Yes, and they use the phrase diaspora a couple of times in the series. But um, the thing, also the thing about Koreans is they have a very particular immune system. Which mm-hmm. read very, very not okay with anything outside of their home world. So they have to wear these full XO suits that keeps them safe. And so with the romance with Tali, Tali, I keep saying her name two different ways. Anyways, the romance with her, her entire thing is I would link suits with you, which means, you know, that's as close as you can possibly be as a Korean. Yep. And I'm just yes, like, it is. you know, this would be. Especially poignant if you were queer and we could, you know, explore that together, too. But I was about to say, she says it to both male and female, Shep, which, like... I know, I that's know. what made me so mad. I thought I could actually romance her when she said that. Yeah, I thought so, too. There's actually even... Okay, so there's... Um, so the suits have a bunch of firm, um, bunch of software in them. So if you go into the Shadow Brokers files, you find out that Tolly downloads something called um, Nerve Stim Pro... It actually has a slightly more suggestive name than that, but that's the gist of it. And also a video about human sexuality. Together. Well. This is never commented on. And it's funny because if you're playing as a femme chef, you can't be like it's it, like it's clearly set up for the male chef romance. But it's funny that it's still there, even if you're a femme chef, because you kind of just go, um, it's mean. Because it's like dangling <laughs> it this little carrot, little relationship qu- carrot in front of you and then queer it. Did I just say queer it? Anyways, queer <laughs> carrot in front of you and then just like yanking it away. It's like, oh, no, 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 you can't have that. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately. See, and then there's the problem with, uh, this is like the player sexuality debate. Because Bioware actually, in Dragon Age 2, they made all of the romance options available to anybody. And this did not go over very well. Because I'm not sure how much I agree with this. I think the problem is the lack of representation is the reason why I don't personally have a problem with making the options available to everybody. Simply because there is so little that this is one of the few ways that we're going to get a genuine choice. Mm-hmm. But because it's not because it, some people are bisexual, some people are gay. And so that you want to kind of cater closer to real life. But that's what I, I wish that that's what they had done with Mass Effect 2. Well, if ifs and buts were candy and nuts, then. True. And then I Miranda. Love being right now. Oh, I love Miranda. <laughs> but but she's mean, got. Another character, though, outside of Tally, that I really wish we could have had a queer romance option for was Miranda. Yeah. Miranda and I just really love her personality. I love how mean she is to you at first. 
She is so mean. But then, like, once you get her on your side, outside of maybe Liara... Like, oh, Miranda is ride or die. Yeah, she is, like, the epitome of ride or die. When, in the third one, um, third Mass Effect, uh, Shepard is actually in custody. Because she kind of had to kill an entire, what was it, a planet? Uh, Shepard swung an asteroid into a Mass Effect relay... And yeah. the ex- resulting explosion destroyed an entire star system. Because she was trying to delay the Reapers, which, I mean, she was justified in doing because the Reapers were trying to take it. But at the but same nobody time... nobody believed... Most people didn't believe the Reapers were real. So to everyone else, it looked like this human alliance soldier just committed a war crime. A massive war crime. And, I mean, yeah, she did destroy an entire star system. So her little butt is in custody and lo and behold there's your ride or die if you're a male shepherd (laughs) she literally is trying to think about how to bust you out yeah yeah so i'm like she reminds me a lot of maggie sawyer from supergirl yes um and i'm so crazy she's actually She's sort of a nice mix between Maggie and Alex because she yes, has because she, really she was because she uh, basically when she was she was a test tube baby she was created partly from her father's DNA and a mix of other people's DNA to create air quotes a perfect human and she has massive insecurities about this because she's like what's well, all my like whenever she fails at something she's like well I have the perfect genetics and I'm still a failure and Shepard's like no it's about what you do with it not who you were born as. Which, if there's ever a queer, queer-ish message to have in someone's character development, I that know, might be right? it. <laughs> nothing. 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 It's, like, like super queer-coded, and nope, nothing. Like, who would not want a ride-or-die girlfriend like that? Come on. I know, right? Also, it just occurred to me, Jack is canonically bisexual, and yet she's not an option for femshep because male chef can hook up with her dad and the well, it's not really the brig, but like. Okay, can I be honest for a moment? Any you don't sort, like Jack. No, I love Jack, but any sort of romantic ship for her makes me very, very uncomfortable because of her I can kind of see that. I can and see she's that. she's just been out of prison and I'm just, it, to me, it's, I would be uncomfortable even if it were femship just because it. I, like by Mass Effect three, I would be okay with it, but not well, yeah, because in, in three, two. she's in three, she's teaching young biotics at Grissom Academy, which I love that Shepard's reaction is they let you around children unsupervised, right? But in Mass Effect two, it's just bleh, bleh, no, oh yeah, it's just yeah, way she, too hinky for me. She is a little ball of bitterness and anger and trauma, and yeah. she just needs some time to recover and like be her own person for a while and she really doesn't need romance in that mix well it's actually kind of nice that they did it i mean the ship would have been nice but it's nice that they did it this way because the way that it comes across except for that male chef can have sex with her but with let's say with with femship it comes across a lot more as like not a savior complex but just you were my friend i genuinely want to help you and so in the third game Mm -hmm. she actually thanks you right for being a friend Right, and again, this is one of those things where, by the third, I would be okay with. But it just really, really makes me uncomfortable in the second one, just because of where she's coming from. It yes, would be definitely. the same with me, and like, I'm, 
I wish my ideal tally would be for writer and not necessarily filmship because that <laughs> age difference is still kind of squicky for me. Yeah, I can see that. Speaking of writer, we need to go into Andromeda. We do. Okay. So, um, I've romanced Vetra the first time through. Vetra or Vitra? I actually can't remember. I always said Vetra because that's what you said. It's so, probably I mean, Vitra, then. I'm saying Vetra, and you probably taught me wrong, but now it's in my head, so it's going to stay for <laughs> No, yeah, so I'm, I'm sitting here having an existential crisis because... Vetra... Be, she also... She's a fair, Turian option. She's a Turian. You don't refer to her by her name once the romance initiates, so... Isn't it V? Um, yeah, you call her V or Babe. She calls you Babe, which I think is very cute. Um, I like that... So, uh, Vetra has a younger sister named Sid. Sid is actually a teenager, by the way, because she left the Milky Way galaxy before she started Turian boot camp, and the Turians start boot camp at 15. So, she was... She's young. She's a teenager. And so she's appropriately immature and delightful. So when you romance Vetra and Vetra tells her about it, apparently there was a lot of squealing and flailing. And she she's like, oh, that's so cute because Ryder is so tiny. And I read that email. And because I actually am short in real life, it was sparked like a little, little flare of anger. And I'm like, I want to get in her face about it, but I'd have to jump because the Turians are like eight feet tall. Right. But yeah, so... Oh, man. Well, she's really... She's the first female Turian we see. Nope, Nyrene. Well, that I've seen. Okay. Yeah, there's Nyrene in Mass Effect. But yeah, she's a, she's the first female Turian companion. You really to interact with and play with. Yes. The thing that I like about Vetra is she's... When you first meet her, she's so cool. Her voice wears a leather jacket. Like, she's just so suave and... But yeah, I'm but you, kind like, of... legitimately have a crush on her because she is so cool. <laughs> no, and, well, because <laughs> she is so cool, like, but she's not. And that's really the funny thing is the more you get to know her, the more you realize that it's all just a ruse and a front, which is actually a pretty common theme amongst your teammates in Andromeda, because everybody's sort of a millennial just getting by, dropped into a position that they were in no way prepared for. Um... Well, just like yeah, when Ryder becomes the Pathfinder, because her dad dies in the process, the guy who is leading up their little whatever, isn't he an accountant or something? Oh, okay. So, because yeah. everybody they, else died. So when they arrive in Andromeda, all of the planets that they thought were golden worlds are all uninhabitable, essentially. Uh, Alec Ryder, your father... He dies on Habitat 7. Uh, well, actually, what happens is is um, you both get hit with a huge wave of energy, and it cracks your entire helmet open. The whole front glass is shattered, so there's no way to repair it. So he pulls off his helmet and and puts it on you, and he dies. It's probably the one good thing he ever did yeah, for his children in his entire dude. life. He's a bastard. Anyways, but, we'll, we'll move back. <laughs> anyway, we're not going to talk about daddy issues. But... Uh, yeah, but that's but I mean that's where you're starting off, and then also the Nexus hit a pocket of dark energy as well. So the seven the the top seven authorities all died upon arrival. So the guy in charge of the entire project is the assistant accountant. Yeah, so he's not even the head accountant. Yeah. yeah so that's so why basically they, they, everybody who is love, running like, the show now are way young. And way not qualified for this, but they're all that's left. So they're just kind of like, you know, 
flying by the seat of their underwear. Yep, we're going to give it the old college try. Even though we just got out of college, essentially. Pretty much, yeah. Um, I think Vetra's in her late 20s. And she, I mean, other... You sort of have to do this proportionally because, you know, like, Kahlo, the pilot, is a Solarian. Um, so he's quite young. Like, he's, like, maybe, I don't know, 20. But, like, he's actually middle-aged for, middle-aged for a Solarian. Um, PB is 110. Or 100 and change, as she puts it. Drac is, like... God, Drac has to be, like, 1,400 years old. He's well over 1,000 because he remembers the Krogan Rebellions. Grandpa. Yeah, he's your grandpa. Uh, who else? Lexi is only 200, but acts like she's 600. Lexi is an Asari, uh, Asari scientist, like, kind of ship doctor. And she's one of the ones that um, Elizabeth said, sometimes you don't have to wait until your matron age to really be a matron. And Lexi yeah. is kind of, poor Lexi. Like, literally, Lexi, she, A, she's voiced by Natalie Dormer, so I love her to begin with. Yes. Phenomenal B, performance, by the way. B, like, she is so mature for her age, and it is quite literally her up against PB. It's just like, I'm surrounded by idiots. Oh, my God. Her best friend, uh, uh, Lexi's best friend is Dr. Carlisle, and he's, like, in his 60s. Because that's about maturity-wise, about where she is. Mm-hmm. And the only other Asari she really has frequent contact with is PB. Can we talk about? Oh, PB. Yeah, we're gonna start PB's talking a about PB. PB. Okay. Like, I love that on her. What she does to you on the loyalty mission, how it starts. Like, you get you get you get on the planet, and so she's like, "You're not mad, are you?" And I just turned to her, and I'm like, "Mad is the smallest word for what I am right now." Okay, but she what doesn't she does. think things through. But what she did, she she essentially like shoved y'all into a little escape pad like thing and hurled <laughs> you into a volcano. Yeah, a live volcano. To go get a remnant artifact. She's like Liara, except she's reckless. She is the epitome of what the Asari maids probably do. Except even yes. more. She's yes. like the extreme version of this. And the only other Asari that's really around that she interacts with once she's, you know, not off on her own cavorting around is Lexi. Yes. And they hate each other. Yes. There's the like, little snippets of dialogue. Like, I love, there's a scene, I, I think, where you can hear them shouting at each other. Yes, from across the ship. Like, down the, cause, like, like, it's not quite staged this way, but the dialogue implies that Lexi is hanging her head out in the med bay and shouting down the bridge to where PB is hiding around a corner shouting back. <sighs> it, it's really delightful to watch because PB is probably the only person who can make Lexi act her age and it's only out of extreme exasperation. Yes. But, no, but PB. The thing I love about PB is that she has, she has uh, issues. So she PB is kind of coming off the back off of what was clearly a very, very, very bad breakup with a very, very, very bad person. Mm-hmm. And it's it's not stated per se, but implied that the I mean that this relationship that she was previously in was incredibly toxic, and you can just tell by the way that she interacts with her ex, Kalinda, right. is her name. 
But what I like about the way that they developed this is that it wasn't just that she hops into something new. I mean, kind of. You start having sex far before emotions get involved. But she's very cautious. Like, get, romancing Phoebe takes a lot of work. It really does. She offers sex, like, no strings attached. And you, as writer, have the option to either, like, no, I want to wait. I really like you. Or, you know, with the more renegade option, like, sure. Yeah, I said, I was, uh, when I was playing it, I was texting Corey and I was like, I was like, yeah, sure. No strings attached. I say, full knowing that there are strings attached. I told you just to wait. I told you. See, I just, no, I picked the option because I'm like, I know that this is going to cause drama later on. But then she blew me off. And so I'm like, well, fuck you too. Vetra's actually interested. I know, but if, (laughs) I love how like playing. If, because you wait, she actually becomes very ride or die and, like, very demonstrative. Like, once well, she's, she's, like, and the little, like, you know, making whoopee scene with them is very, very, <laughs> I know, I'm like, what am I, 60? Um, It's very, <laughs> very. It sounds like something Jeremiah would say. <laughs> suggestive. Even for Mass Effect, I was really surprised by how far they went with that. Yeah, it's blushworthy, which you don't really get with Vetra, which, I mean, sort of is a consequence of anatomy. Right. I mean, in Mass Effect 2, we had, if you romance Garrus, you got to have that lovely, horrendously climb-the-walls awkward conversation with your ship doctor yes. about how you can't ingest terrain fluids because you can they can cause anaphylactic shock in and humans. He, and I think he gives you, like, a lotion <laughs> for chafing. Yes, and condoms. But with With... PB or the Asari, I mean, they're very sensual, and it's a very sexual scene. And it's heightened because she finally admits she has genuine feelings for you, so she actually mind-melds with you, and she even says, I never thought I would experience this. Aww. And see, you would know this if your ass had any kind of patience. I got impatient. And actually, um, I also kissed Suvi, which, okay, and this this is the thing. I am so not used to having options, because this is the first game I can actually even think of. I remember you playing, though, like, oh, I really like Phoebe. Oh, I really like Vetra. Oh, but I really like Subi now. Who, who am I going to choose? Well, maybe Vetra. No, wait, maybe Phoebe. <laughs> no, but this, that's like the a thing. Kid in a candy this store is... that didn't know what to go for. Exactly, but that's why this game is so important, because it's not so much like, like with, say, like with Fallout. You can technically romance all of the options that you choose. And they, I mean, granted, some people may get a little pissy about you or get a little pissy with you about it. But, like, it's not as emotional. Like, granted, you know, like, that would be another another podcast to do is to find somebody who loves Fallout 4 and talk about Piper. Mm, if you're interested, leave me. us a comment. Yeah, somebody help Elizabeth out because that's not going to be me. Yeah, but that's the thing about Mass Effect is it's really the only, other than Dragon Age, but that's the same studio, it's the only time where you really, as a queer player, feel like you're actually being catered to. Mm-hmm. And, like, really, Mass Effect Andromeda, it feels like this was their top priority in some ways. Because well, you have four four options. Four op- The writing, I'm going to say, the writing for Mass Effect Andromeda, by far, more than any other game I have backseat played, is the most in-depth and natural and organic and compelling writing. I've oh, ever it's seen. so good! 
See, like in in the original trilogy, they had this thing where you had the Paragon Renegade system, which affected your your game stats and various things. The problem was is that the sort of pigeonholes you into choosing one or the other. It's really hard to play the games neutrally and do well. You have to be Dudley Do Right or a raging asshole, and you can't choose. Basically, there's no in between. The nice, so that's like I've said this before um, in my early review for Andromeda that the nice thing about the way that writer is written is it's less like you're picking options according to a gameplay mechanic. It feels like you're building a personality. Mm-hmm. And other characters will comment on it. Like I cannot tell because I'm very because prof- I'm very professional to people. Because that's how because that's I like to play these games how I actually am in real life. And so I was very professional with people I don't know very well. And I cannot tell you how many times people asked me, like, why are you so tightly wound? And I'm just like, oh, my God, this is so <laughs> I feel so personally attacked. But it's my fault for playing the game like that. But it was, it's it's incredible how much thought went into the dialogue trees. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it does create these really, really lovely organic romances. And then, like, then with the squad mates, you have sort of also the flavor dialogue that happens while you're just driving around in the nomad, which, by the way. A plus Bioware, you finally made an open world game where the traveling mechanic is actually fun to play with. But I things don't know. like uh, I think the conversations you had with Shepard trying to drive were pretty fun. <laughs> no, but I love how there's constant fights in the in the Nomad about like like Cora's like you know nowhere in the Pathfinder handbook does it say that the Pathfinder is the only one who can drive. Well, I remember um, <laughs> PB and you. If you have the romance option. With PB, and then, uh, oh, I forgot his name, Squid Jaw. Cat. Jaw. Yeah, Jaw. My BFF. Think, didn't you show yeah. this one to me, too? Um, yes. Yeah, she's insinuating <laughs> that you and her are about to get it on, because she's trying to prove that Jaw isn't asleep. I mean, yeah. she really is. She starts pulling a Harry, when Harry met Sally. Yeah. And faking an orgasm, and so then Jaw's just like, all right, pull over. I'm, I'm getting gonna get out. out and leave you two alone. <laughs> she's like, I knew you were. She's like, I knew you were faking, and he's like, I was not the only one. Yeah, PB is a little shit. Please play this game. <laughs> oh, she is such a little shit, though. Really quickly, though, Suvi. Yes. Uh, we have like ten minutes left. Yeah. Okay, so good. Because really I, with Suvi. I love Suvi. I love her okay. accent. Okay, so what? Number one, the accent. Number two, so this is just, if you've ever known a scientist, like, she gets she gets an allergic reaction from doing a lick test on a rock. <laughs> so if you don't know what this is, it's in geology, if you lick something, if it's a fossil, your tongue will stick to it. If it's not, then your tongue won't stick to it. So they call it the lick test. So out of force of habit, she does this with some random rock from a planet, and it ends up giving her <laughs> this allergic reaction. Like, she could have died, and she's very, like, nonchalant about it. Or her eternal quest to learn how to cook the food from Andromeda, I find fascinating. But the question was, was it a fossil? I can't remember, actually. (laughs) (laughs) She kind of reminds me a little bit of, um... Mass Effect 1, Liara. She does, yeah. She has that sort of wide-eyed wonder about the world, about science and its possibilities. She's not jaded at all, which is really quite refreshing because most, most of characters the Mass are. Most Andromeda crew aren't, and I think that's because of age. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. 
It's also that everybody who came to Andromeda came to Andromeda with the explicit purpose of exploring somewhere new. Right. I mean, they're essentially the Star Trek, you know, go where no man has gone before or whatever. I'm not a Star Trek fan. Yes. You know how I'm, you know what I'm talking about. Well, because I've always said um, that with the original trilogy that the first Mass Effect is very Roddenberry Star Trek. That you have the Citadel, you have all these races living together, trying to learn to live together. And that's what Andromeda feels like to me as well. Especially with the, I'm not going to spoil the ending, but what happens in the ending, depending on how many people you allied with, all of your allies show up at the final battle. So it has this very, we're all in this together sort of mm-hmm. attitude to it, which I absolutely love. Especially since Mass Effect 3 was so depressing. I cannot hear the phrase, we're all in this together, without hearing that song from High School Musical. Okay, I'm so sorry. So the visual I'm five I just years... got in my head was quite delightful. Okay, I'm five years younger than you, and I've never seen High School Musical. How is that possible? You know what? I don't put it <laughs> past you. Because if you don't like something, like, you avoid it like it's the plague. What, me? Yes. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> Very true. It was a culture. I was a theater kid, so it's kind of weird that I never saw it. But you do you, you do you. Anyway, Suvi. So um, I actually, because in the process of trying to figure out who I was going to romance, I was like, I'm going to like lead it all the way up to like the lock-in point for all of them. And then I had this like weird because I, I'm one of those people where like I can't make bad decisions in games. Like I can't. I talk a lot of shit for somebody who can't be rude with dialogue options because I feel genuinely bad. Like, I hurt Garrus's feelings once and I had to go outside and think about my life for a few minutes. I'm not surprised. So, I mean, this is just who I am. So with Suvi, like, because there's a... And also, like, her romance trigger was really late in the game, which I was surprised. So... I kiss her and then there's a pause and she's just... She, like, looks you dead in the eye and she's like, don't don't do this unless you're serious. And I was just like, um, you know what? Never mind. You I'm felt like, oh, really man. bad, didn't you? Oh, I felt so bad. Did oh, you go back and erase that gameplay? No, I didn't. I just, I, I left it. I was just like, no, you know what? You're right. This was, this was fucked up with me. I'm not going to do it. So I did the right thing. But she's going to be, she's going to be my romance option next. See, PB, I'll save for later. You'll save PB for the grand. No, you're just going to save PB because she's so much work. <laughs> she's a lot okay. of work. That's, there's some truth to that. Yes, there is. There's definitely some truth to that. She's worth it, though. I mean, she's she's worth the extra time. All of the ladies are worth the time. But, I mean, PB does require some extra um, attention. Yeah. And she you know, really and tests you. <laughs> That's a good way. The Lord is testing me. Yeah. She Phoebe is oh, testing me. Yeah. Which actually, the other thing I like about Suvi, just really quick as we're wrapping up, um, her attachment to religion, she's very Jewish coded. She's not explicitly Jewish, but the way that she talks about God and about religion is very Jewish. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like that they included that. That, I don't know, just like, the thing about Andromeda is that all of the romance options are all so distinctly different. Because with, I mean, granted, like, Liara has this big arc, and she turns into sort of a different person by the third game. But her and Sam have quite a bit in common. And compared to Andromeda, where 
it was just such a novelty as a gay woman to have these three. There's actually four. There's also the reporter who you can hook up with. But to have these three women who are your your friends and allies that you can choose from and have them all be very distinctly different people. And so it's three distinctly different experiences. Mm. And like, and this is the essence of Mass Effect. I know that some people have complained about things like, but okay, here's the deal with Mass Effect. If the fact that Ryder is holding the wrong gun in a couple of cutscenes ruins the entire 70-hour experience for you, then I can't help you, buddy. Like, and granted, like, I, which, by the way, I want to say, through all of Mass Effect 2, Shepard is carrying the wrong damn gun. It is always that stupid assault rifle. So if this is, if this is how you're evaluating this experience, which actually... Uh, probably a good topic for an article about how why the way that we the way that we review games now is not really adequate anymore. Um, Mass Effect is about the emotional experience. It's about the role playing experience. Gameplay is actually sort of second to this experience. It's stories that cannot be told outside of the video game medium, but the actual gunplay that's not really what Mass Effect is about. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing else like it. There isn't. I mean, well, you kind of have Dragon Age, but as far as the depth, I mean, Mass Effect still blows it out of the water. It does, yeah. So we're going to actually start wrapping this up because there's three minutes left and we have our little announcements we need to roll out. Um, first of all, thank you guys for listening again. Um, we always want to ask if you could, you know, leave us a review on iTunes or subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. We very much appreciate it. And also, we're going to have a thread in our site forum where we're going to have some Mass Effect discussion going on. So we encourage any of you all to come and kind of give your own little feedback. Like, who do you like to play? Who do you like to romance type of thing? Well, I mean, you have to play Shepard or Ryder. <laughs> but who do you like to romance on your gameplays, essentially? And you know why? We'd love to hear your opinions about it. And exactly. An hour well, just didn't cover it. There was there's so much to talk there's about. Too with much this to game talk series. about. So we would love to continue this discussion with you guys over on our forums. We'll have a thread set up for it, so you you're more than welcome to come chime in. Let us know what you think, and also don't forget we do have our official uh, fundamental site store. I know we have at least one Mass Effect product on there. Mm-hmm. It's a hoodie, a ladies' hoodie. Actually, it says caution spent all weekend playing Mass Effect, I believe. So I know some of you at least have lived that. (laughs) And there's some other fun stuff on there as well. So we'll have a couple of links up in the article body of this podcast that you can check out. And again, remind you to uh, like and subscribe and review our podcast on iTunes. We greatly appreciate it. Uh, Coming up in June, we have some things to talk about. Oh, so much. Um, we're going to do a couple of hints for this as the, as May goes on a little bit and kind of build it up for it. So you'll figure out. We're not going to announce it just yet, but uh, we think you're really going to enjoy what we're going to be talking about in June. Hmm. And we may have a guest <laughs> or two. So thanks for tuning in. I'm Corey. Elizabeth I'm kind Elizabeth. of led the show today. Yes, I did. Just this because, is my baby. Yeah, it's I will baby. Be, I will be in that forum later, probably later on. Uh, I guess uh, we're recording this Saturday, so once the podcast goes live, I will be in that forum discussing and arguing with all of you. 
And I will be dropping in and out as, you know, anybody wants to talk about my babies as well. So we look forward to seeing you there. Thank you guys for tuning in. We'll see you next time on the next episode of Ladies First. Have a good day.